RugbyRenegade.com, the number one online strength and conditioning program for rugby. Are you ready to get bigger, stronger, fitter, and faster and dominate your opposition? Welcome to the Rugby Renegade Podcast, where we build machines. Hello and welcome to the Rugby Renegade podcast. Today's episode is sponsored by Pro Athlete Supplementation. Check them out at pas-nutrition.co.uk for all your supplementation needs. And don't forget that subscribers to the Rugby Renegade program get a 40% discount on retail prices. Yes, we're back for episode 47 of the Rugby Renegade podcast. My name is Jamie Bain. And uh, yeah, we're back after quite the hiatus, bit of a bit of a break, um, but it's good to be back in a podcast. Um, the start of the season has calmed down, and I'm fortunate enough to be joined by Rob Coles from Serious About Strength, uh, who's also worked at W10 Performance in London and uh, has done a lot of work and still is in correspondence with Stuart McGill. Um, so tons of great information about this. Uh, if you want to improve your strength, give it a listen and let us know what you think. Hi, Rob. Welcome to the Rugby Renegade podcast. Great to have you on. Uh, why don't we start by you just telling us a little bit about your career, how you got into strength and conditioning, and who you're working with. Uh, yeah, thanks, Jamie. Thanks for having me on. It's been a it's, it's a pleasure to be on the podcast. It's something I listen to uh, over and over again. I'm a big podcast fan, and uh, yours is uh, one on my list. Cool. Um, so essentially, I started in the industry just as a PT um, about probably 12 years ago now, um, and I was quite fortunate in the fact that once I got into the industry, I mean, I think most PTs out there will understand that the 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 industry standard to break into the industry isn't very isn't very high. The bar's not set very high from the outset. But I was quite fortunate in the fact that I got a um, one of my first mentors was Phil Richards. Okay. So I went down and uh, I, I think you've had him on as well, right? Yeah, very recently. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so I'm, I'm good friends with Phil. I've known him for 12 years now, and one of my first courses I did when breaking into the industry was actually to go and spend a, a week with him. Uh, so down in uh, in Swansea, in the in the middle of nowhere. Um, And then, uh, yeah, I mean, like, just go through. He took us through all training, the functional medicine side of things. He absolutely kicked seven stages of shit out of us for a week, pretty much. Um, and uh, he was my first mentor, so that kind of guided me. And then from there, I signed, kind of got into contact with people like Eric Serrano. Um, and I, I suppose at that point, I could have been easily influenced to go either way in the industry. And I sort of was fortunate that Phil kind of guided me and sort of potentially sort of took me under his wing a little bit and sort of said, "Why don't you go and research this?" and why don't you go and do that? And I was quite quite sort of willing to do it. I mean, I personally sort of developed my passion for reading once breaking into the industry. Uh, when at school, when a younger younger person at school, with not really having any real direction in terms of knowing what to do, I didn't really I didn't really enjoy reading. I still don't really enjoy reading fiction. Everything is uh, training based uh, or life based. Um, so he's developed he developed my passion for that. And that's kind of led me on my path. So from there, I went and worked at a gym called W10 Performance, which at the time was one of the uh, biggest privately owned gyms in the whole of London, um, where I was sort of the director of performance, so to speak, there. So I overlooked over all the program design, uh, injury rehabilitation and so forth. And then from there, I went over and still currently reside as the director of performance at a gym called uh, Performance RX, which is Dr. Stuart McGill's European headquarters. So Joel, who is the owner of, of that facility, is a director of BackFit Pro uh, and is head lecturer for Dr. Stuart McGill. So we get to spend quite a lot of time under the, under the tutelage of, of the doc. He comes cool. over and runs clinic, clinics out of there sort of a couple of times a year. Um, and he's heavily influenced my sort of learning as well. So from there, when I've sort of started to meet with him and converse with him, he started to say a few things that sort of sparked my memory in terms of people like Louis Simmons would say. 
Uh, and actually, they say quite a lot of things in common, which then kind of got me going back and delving into all the work of Westside Barbell um, and understanding that that's a powerlifting program, but it's taking, obviously, build some of the strongest people in the world. Um, taking that and then going into Russian text, the conjugate system as a whole, um, and also understand there's many ways to implement the conjugate sequencing or concurrent programming. Um, and I suppose that's led me then to people like Buddy Morris and probably more importantly, James, the thinker Smith and Mike Gadango and people like that, that are probably where probably some of my biggest influence in the industry right now. You know, I'm sort of sort of talking to them and sort of listening to everything they've got to say. And that's kind of shaped the, my sort of mentality over the last 12 years of consistently learning and developing relationships with coaches, both both in the UK and America. I've also been quite fortunate where I was over in the Oregon State University working with their American football team. I've done that twice now nice. for a couple of weeks each stint. So just sort of getting out and just sort of, I, sort of, I suppose over the last 12 years, I've done quite a lot, but it's just a continual development. I'm sure you know it's just a rabbit hole that you start going down and into different areas. And yeah, I mean, it's been a, it's been a process and I'm still fully engrossed in the process. It's something I'm always... Uh, always sort of looking to develop my my professional sort of skills and so forth so so yeah and i mean like so i also run a company called serious about strength which does primarily uh online sort of consultate well consultation for athletes i look after some rugby players in the off season before they go back to their clubs i also have some strong men that compete internationally i have some athletes over in the states uh, and i also consult with a lot of personal trainers about programming and development in terms of their career development and stuff like that so very diverse but it keeps me interested in all things training and uh strength and conditioning yeah definitely cool yeah you're, you're always learning this game aren't you but um you've mentioned yeah. mentioned a few things that um you know i want to bring up i've had planned to kind of talk about so i think one of the, the first ones is the, the conjugate method and you mentioned Westside barbell um and and some of those coaches like godango and buddy morris i think they've kind of They've taken that Westside approach and and really progressed into a model that works in terms of sports, as you said. Westside Barbell is yep. for powerlifters. So let's talk about that. Like some, I guess some of our listeners might not know what the conjugate method is. So why don't you start by kind of explaining that? So the conjugate method or the co concurrent method is where you're basically always training all skills. Um, so you're you're always working on explosive power. You're always working on jumping ability you're always working on strength and you're always working on some level of conditioning or gpp throughout the whole year and then all you're going to do is potentially focus on different blocks at any given time so so it's never allowing so i suppose the other type of periodization would be more the western block periodization where you'll have a, a four week to six week block of hypertrophy or sort of more bodybuilding and then you go into a four week block of strength and then it's power and so forth um so that's, I think that's a bit sort of old hat for me now. It can be utilized in a concurrent training method. Like I said, you can focus for a kind of a block of conditioning, but you, you are still on a maintenance level of potential speed work, some jumping ability and some strength at the same time. So it's just a way, a fine way of blending. Now, uh, like, like you sort of mentioned in the sense that um, I think people get a little bit lost because they look at the West Side method and they look at West Side Barbell as a, as a whole and they're like, well, that's not going to work. But what you have to understand is Louis read all the text and then he's adapted it to what was his sport of powerlifting. Um, and that the issue is, is that I feel is that there's so much reading to be done that it's actually quite a, a minefield. There is no right way of doing it. I think a lot of people want to be told what they should do. What days should I train upper body? What days should I train lower body instead of trying to figure it out for themselves? And, 
And the thing is, is that it's trial and error. The best coaches in the world are the ones that, oh, I tried this, it didn't work, so I'm gonna, so I tried something else, and that's where they've kind of got to. And I mean, you can't look away from Louis in the sense that his his experience in the field and he's made the mistakes. I mean, listen to the injuries that he's induced from using too much bands. So, like, I think he said he tore a pec and tore a shoulder using 80% band tension for a one RM. <laughs> you know, it's like I'm gonna listen to him there. I'm not. I'm not gonna try that. <laughs> you yeah. know? So it's just understanding that, and I think it's for most coaches is having a. Uh, developing their filter instead of seeing everything as black and white it's trying to see how does that apply to the population that i'm training you know yeah definitely definitely and i mean it's a kind of trend that uh, a few of our podcast uh, interviews have, have covered up like dan tobin obviously brought in uh from his work from Leinster into gloucester where it's yeah you, you've got to kind of train everything because you can't detrain in any one thing because you need to be at a good level of everything to perform well in, in sports like rugby um, I'm trying to think who else is. Or it's it's a kind of uh, you've done much with or very much of Charlie Francis' work. A lot yeah, of that yeah. Is... So he's, he's he's a huge influence in terms of uh, my current training methodology and stuff like that. In like terms of all the vertical in- integration, yeah, all that type exactly. of stuff. I mean, and, and and the interesting thing is, is that when you look at sport, when you look at rugby, when you look at soccer, when you look at American football, I mean, they're they're they're, they're somewhat conjugate by nature. I mean, yeah. it's constantly varied to a certain degree. And, and actually, the one sport which probably isn't constantly varied is powerlifting. <laughs> you yeah. know, so it's ironic that, that, that that's the, the, the adoption in terms of because where I think block periodization would have much more of a carryover would be powerlifting and potentially like, like gym based sports where you, you've only really got to improve on squat, bench, and deadlift or the snatch and clean. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, I can see how there'd be much more. Um, Sort sort of correlation between block periodization have much more sense, but again, that's where the whole role of training. There is no right way. If there was a right way, then that's what everyone would be doing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, now I saw uh, an article on your website about the five fundamentals of strength. Do you want to kind of touch on what those are? Um, obviously, you know, serious about strength. I think we'll have a good chat about kind of strength development. Um, so the five my fundamentals of strength, I wrote that article a while ago, actually. I'm not sure if I can uh, remember all the five, the five, <laughs> but, but the, the reality of, of sort of strength is that I think where, where a lot of people, I'm probably sort of digressing from that, from that article to a certain degree, but when it comes to strength is that strength isn't that hard to attain. It's essentially just practicing the art of movement and then you load said movement progressively. You know, it's that a common mistake that I think that people make when it comes to training is that they don't learn the movement. So you'll see people of like young people that have never done any weightlifting before in the past walk into a gym and deadlift or pick a bar up off the floor and it will look horrible, but then they'll post it on social media and they'll say, oh, look, I've got a 200 kilo deadlift or whatever it is. But they haven't infinitely learned how to coordinate their body and, and to perform that movement quickly, uh, efficiently. And I liken it to sort of going into like, you wouldn't, you wouldn't apply that same strategy if you were to take up a new martial art. If you were to walk into your first karate lesson and challenge the black belt to a fight you're going to get hurt you know you have to go back to the basics understand how to how to throw a punch how to do everything how to string it all together and then eventually over time you are going to be able to challenge that black belt and if we liken the black belt challenging to to lifting 200 kilos is that you might be able to last a minute fighting him but inevitably the technique isn't there for any longevity in training and i think that and again if you look at the conjugate system and, and look back at what they prescribe is the first three to four years of training is completely general GPP, 
by nature you're learning the movements you're not you're not venturing straight into max effort you're not doing all these all these types of the sexy stuff you need to have that base of training before you can really start to utilize that those modalities if that makes any sense yeah. And I think that's where a lot of people get misunderstood. And I think that's where a lot of coaches get sidetracked is the fact that they, they turn into some, some, some level of sort of cheerleader. Like they, they, don't, they, don't, they don't understand that the, the, the true art of coaching the technique of, of a deadlift or a squat where there's any longevity in training it. You know, they're, they're chasing the numbers as well as the athlete chasing the numbers. And, and you're, you're putting the focus on the wrong thing. You know, especially when it comes to sports like rugby and, and, and American football, is that the sport isn't squatting, it isn't deadlifting, and it, it, it isn't bench pressing. You know, yes, we want to get stronger, but we also want to get better at the sport. You know, so so when it comes to strength training, it's that it's, it's that perfect practice makes per- permanent. Because at the end of the day, the last thing, and, and as you as you'll attest to, the last thing that any strength and conditioning coach wants to happen is a player gets injured in the weight room. Yeah. You know that the sport that you're playing is stressful enough, and there's, there's 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 risk of injury enough that you don't need to have that same risk of injury in the weight room. You know, and I think that's where, for me, is that when it comes to sort of developing strength, is that first of all you need to learn the movement, and this is one of the things that working under that. I mean, I think so. One of the to touch on, I'm sure we might go there, is that one working under the tutelage of McGill and Joel at Performance RX is that it's understanding how to load people and what is effective load. performance out of an individual because i just don't think enough effort is made to really teach the technique in terms of what we are trying to get our athlete to perform and how is that going to transfer to the field of play and i think that's where when it comes to getting stronger for a sport again if we talk about powerlifting then 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 there's a different there's a different sort of conversation that needs to be had because it's a little bit easier because the training narrows down but I think that when it comes to improving strength for sport is that at the end of the day, as you look at the work of like Anatoly Bondachok and stuff like that, it's, it's about transfer. How do we transfer any strength gains made in the gym to the rugby field? And therein lies the, 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 the big question. How do, we, how do we do that? And that's what I think the most strength coaches need to be asking themselves. Because it's not about how strong can I make this individual in a squat or a deadlift it's how can I make this player like this player an individual better on the yeah exactly and that's what you know all, all training should be focused for it's not it's not just numbers it's it's the it's the, the end goal is on field performance um, so into we've, we've kind of touched on uh, periodization talking about block and conjugate but what sort of um, how do you periodize I guess or how, how do you I mean you mentioned that it's it's learning the movement and then building in progression how, how do you go about that with your athletes so again i suppose um it's all about a needs analysis because like i think that when you're talking whether you're talking somebody like one of my someone i might coach that's had chronic back pain who's an who's not an athlete is that nothing really changes in terms of how i'm coaching them or what i'm doing it's just their starting point is going to be a little bit different you would assume that, and I think it's a fair assumption to say that if an athlete comes to see you and they play a relatively high level of sport, be that sort of high amateur level or even into the pro, is that they haven't got that far by being weak and not being able to coordinate their body in space. So their starting point in terms of understanding how to move is just a bit further along than, say, Mary that's 50 years old that's had, that's had back pain. But inevitably, the same process comes in. So is that 
Whereas a hip hit, teaching somebody to utilize the hip hinge is, is the first and is the first component to training the deadlift. Once that is perfect, we can then start to load it. Now, when, when I take in a, a semi-pro athlete or an athlete is I get them in and I assess their movement pattern. So where is their start point? So like what I always try to do is meet, meet the individual where they are currently at. I think if you enter into any training with any athlete with a, right, this is what we're going to do with him without seeing him move and without assessing what's happening, I think you're going to end up potentially missing the low-hanging fruit because it's about understanding the individual. Uh, and, and that's where I think that the answer everyone hates, but inevitably is always going to be the answer is it depends. Yeah. You know, if, they, if I've, cause I have a lot of the, the athletes that I coach come to me because you know what, I've had some back pain. Well, let's have a look and what's going on. And it's like, well, show me how you deadlift. And like, I've had six foot five athletes trying to deadlift from the floor. And I'm like, you know what? Like, I don't know if you should be deadlifting from the floor. You don't really have the mobility. You're six foot five and you weigh 120 kilos. How about we just raise that bar about four inches off the floor and put you in a much nicer biomechanical position? And that might be all we need to do to allow them just to continue progressing because their training up until that point has actually been causing them to, to be in pain. You know, and, and so, so, the, so the whole answer to that question is like, how do we periodize it? We just start at the beginning and then, and then wherever that might be the individual and we gradually progress. Because the first thing I always think you need to have is, is a high level of conditioning and GPP. So, and, that, and what that means is that, is that you, want your, you want to be able to maintain good levels of position and posture whilst under in, like increasingly amounts of fatigue. So that's where like just low level training done at a sort of a medium intensity for prolonged periods of time comes in. You know, we don't want to challenge them with too much intensity to begin with. We want to build the capacity to... So if we're looking at a West Side model, for argument's sake, I would utilize in the early stages much more sort of dynamic effort percentages, but I'm not prescribing the speed of bar movement per se. I'm just, look, let's just practice, practice, practice until it's perfect, and then we might go into increasing the intensity. You know? And each individual might have a different starting point, so at what point it comes into. So again, without talking specifics, it's very hard to make a general sweeping statement because in my opinion and from my experience, everyone is slightly different in terms of their starting point. You know, and it's, this is what I try and say is that if I have that back pain client, Mary, that's 55 years old, her training program on paper doesn't look any different to my elite level athlete. But what's different is the loading, the intensity, you know, how it all comes together. Her hip hinge variation might be a downward hip hinge. Professional rugby player's hip hinge variation might be a, a trap bar deadlift head. So it's just about learning the movements and applying the right amount of stress at the right time. Yeah. You know, and it's, uh, I apologize that it's not more specific, and uh, but that's essentially how, like, when I'm viewing training, is that it's meeting the individual where they are at. Yeah. You know? No. And, and, and it's a needs analysis for the individual as well. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with that. I mean, when I first worked with, a, with an athlete, I I kind of go, I've got a continuum of exercises for each uh, movement. So your squat, your hinge, um, single leg variations and, and pushing and pulling. And yeah, I start with the, the most easy one and progress to where they get to a point where they, you know, they can't maintain good form. Yeah. Um, and, and then you kind of program based on that to get them to that, you know, the, the end stage, you know, the <clears throat> the highest skill 
variation of a squat or of a deadlift, whatever it might be. Um, and and like I said, the, the other the other thing to take into account is not all exercises are suitable for all all athletes. You know, like your example with the the tall guy deadlifting, yeah, you might have to do a, a partial range, and that's fine if it's for if it's for force. There's other ways you can get range. You know, with different exercises. Yeah, I mean, I mean the interesting thing though is that partial range, like so, raising the deadlift on a block for for that six foot five athlete is not partial range that's actually a normal range deadlift because i'm only i'm only five foot eight and i, and I had a couple of uh, ex rugby players that was that was that was six eight and them deadlifting from the floor i mean i stood i stood on blocks and measured it, it was me deadlifting from a seven inch deficit yeah <laughs> now i would never deadlift from a seven seven inch deficit you know it's too much stress for like on my low back and potential so raising the the block the, the bar up on for six inches for those individual was where the bar was on my shin relative yeah you know, so it's just understanding that. And I think that, I mean, I mean, we've done a lot of stuff with McGill and worked with trainers and stuff like that. And th- th- there is that sort of understand. The only real people that need to be able to deadlift from the floor are Olympic weightlifters and powerlifters. Now, you look at the best powerlifters at 100 kilos. They're about five foot four. They're, they're built for lifting. Yeah. Right? And, and the same with Olympic weightlifters. They're not, they're not tall, six foot two, six foot five individuals. And if they are, they weigh 350 pounds. So it's just understanding like the deadlift is a way of training to build powerful and strong hips. Well, we can do that even by raising it to just below knee. If we understand that what we're trying to extract from why we're using the deadlift. Yeah. Yeah. And again, it goes back to why, why you're using something. You're not just chucking it in there because it's a, you know, a popular exercise at the moment. It's because it's, it's got a purpose in building that performance on the field. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, I mean, that's one of the key things I always try to get across whenever I'm sort of talking to people about program design. It's like, I sort of do it to be, to sort of play devil's advocate. But when I'm going through it, I'm like, but why that? Why have you put that in there? Because it's, because we only have, we have limited resources to, to adapt to training. So if, if there's not an, uh, an answer for why something's in there and it's just in there for, and the answer could be just to sort of get their heart rate up or to do something. But then if you haven't got a justification, then, then my question is, why is it in? Yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely. Uh, now, as, as I listen to the podcast, you'll have heard this question asked before we ask all the guests. And it's what do you think is the biggest mistake rugby players make when it comes to strength and conditioning? I think they focus too much on the numbers in the weight room and not enough on the development of the skill of rugby. That would be That would be my one thing. I think... I think that people focus too highly on how much they can squat, bench, and deadlift, or whatever the lift of choice they might be, power, clean, and stuff like that. And then, and they don't spend enough time practicing the the art of playing rugby, whatever the skills might be. Um, you know, and that's that's the biggest thing. And 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 and, not, and nobody nobody trains for speed and developing speed or sprint stuff. And you see that in in all aspects, not just rugby, but football and American football. Too much emphasis on building to a two and a half, three times body weight back squat without really understanding if that's going to make you a better rugby player. Yeah, yeah. I mean, one of our big focuses is trying to get to to double body weight squat, and once you're there, it's more about you know that's your your kind of yeah standard level we want to get to, and then it's more about explosive work, transferring it into um, you know your, your sprinting and speed work. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think I mean it was interesting. I know you've had Ashley Jones on as well. I mean, he was on my podcast. And uh, one of the things he said that what he found so amazing was that when he moved from the Southern Hemisphere to the Northern Hemisphere was how how strong these guys were up at Edinburgh Rugby. 
Yeah. You know, they were they were sort of tickling 300 kilo back squats. And he was like, I've never seen anything like it yet. When you put them on the rugby field, they weren't as good as the Southern Hemisphere players. Yeah. Now, like, do you know what I mean? And it's just understanding that just because you're strong, it doesn't make you a good rugby player. And actually being a good rugby player will probably make you strong. Yeah. And, and what do those Southern Hemisphere teams have in greater abundance than we do? It's the skill level. From the, yep. you know from the grassroots, that's that's their differentiation. Like the All Blacks aren't necessarily the the most physical or fittest team, but well, they're fitter because they're such high level high level skill. They can perform at such a high level. And I think and I think that we, and I think like there's it's understanding the sport that you're training for as well. I mean, there's obviously much more of an emphasis of strength or be, need, a need to be strong in the sport of rugby than there is football. You know, and it's like because of the contact and stuff like that but and it's just it's just being able to understand that and it's but also being able to say right you're strong enough now let's learn to apply that force into our our sprint speed into our jumping ability into our, our rate of force development you know so that we can be and also like what what happens then is that when you're working at lower percentages and you're and you're developing that rate of force development it's less stressful to the body you know so now we're not having to recover from and a close to three times body weight back squat or you know what i mean now we can just recover from and get and extract what we need to from the lifting so that we can then transfer that onto the field and into our rugby practice yeah because like you said uh you know rugby's <laughs> a stressful enough sport as it is you know and with all the the time constraints of the different technical and tactical uh, attributes of it we've got to find a, as much bang bang for our buck as we can out of our snc training we can't just be doing anything that's going to excessively fatigue and we, we want to get adaptation not just unnecessary fatigue uh, I, mean, so- I mean i'm a huge fan of i mean again it's that i'm a huge fan of sub-maximal training i mean like yeah. i think that i think that when applied right you can actually achieve maximal strength gains when training sub sub-maximally yeah. so and at much lower lower cost to recover it yeah so it's a win-win in both aspects i think we're what we're kind of talking about and you mentioned it earlier is it's in terms of learning the movement and and essentially strength is a skill it's the skill of being able to contract your your muscles maximally um so you don't need maximal weights to do that you can you can drill the the skill of it with some maximal weights which will be less fatiguing which means you've got more energy to adapt to your you know your rugby specific training um while learning the skill of, of strength essentially um i think Absolutely. Uh, i don't know if you read any of pavel satsulin's stuff and I, th- I think he's kind of um, he's not as popular because kind of kettlebell training has had a bit of bashing because that was seen as his thing but I think he's done a lot for, for teaching strength as a skill um, yeah. le- you know learning learning to build tension learning to contract maximally um, and again not having to lift maximal weights just sub-maximal I think it's greasing the groove is the thing where you use some ma- sub-maximal yeah. weights regularly and your nervous system becomes more efficient and, and people That's forget it. that they think it's just you know go in go maximal every time and you know that's that's how you get stronger but like you say and i've seen it done at professional level uh, in rugby so maximal weights can get you stronger and 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 then the interesting thing is is that like so again i always come back to him because for me he's one of the biggest mentors but dr stuart mcgill he's done a lot of work with uh with pavel and 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 that is the art of all things because because what he's saying is true it's greasing the groove but now taking it one step further what i like to do is what are the grooves we want to grease for a rugby player you know so if we understand that when when apl- anything applied at maximal effort is is a is a hind brain dominant movement, so whether you're maximally lifting a weight or whether you're maximally sprinting, is that you can no longer focus on technique because the intensity is too high. So if you want to ingrain a skill 
reduce the intensity, practice it at a lower skill, at a lower intensity until it gets so good that you can just start to increase the intensity. That's how you want to do it. So like what I've had my like some of my rugby players do is it's is it's just the art of grappling at a tempo conditioning. You know, you're looking for heart rates between sort of one, three, below the sort of one below lactate threshold. And you just practice it and you might do 15 seconds on, 15 seconds off and just building up the, the capacity to to replicate that perfect form. Um, and then I to increase the intensity. You know, and what you're looking for is your, your rugby player to be able to run, move, change direction, grapple, but with perfect technique at higher and higher intensities. And that's where, like, I think for me, the the the, the work of Mike Gadango and James Smith and Buddy Morris, where that really comes into its own, you know, um, because if you understand that obviously the sport of rugby requires the, the ability for contact and running, is that if we're not conditioning the players to be better runners, then we are potentially putting them at a higher level of risk because the sport involves potentially 80 minutes of running. Yeah. It was a real good time to talk about it. We've, um, we've written an article about high-low periodization um, a la Charlie Francis, uh, and I've seen on your uh, social media you've got you know high CNS days, low CNS days. Do you want to talk about that and explain that, how you use that? Uh, so Yeah, so essentially probably exactly the same. So from the work of Charlie Francis, just integrating, um, and I think actually from a, from a programming standpoint, it's a real nice way of being able to categorize sort of more low-intensive, low-stress, but actually sort of useful exercises that if we're looking at a training session as obviously a series of exercises is that there are exercises that we all know that we should do but where do they fit into the to the program because we, we want to do sexy stuff like we don't want to work on sort of shoulder capacity stuff where like exercise like turkish get-ups are fantastic but you know that you want to what, what are you going to take out in a high intensive day to put them in you know whereas now it's like on a low intensive day it's like it's going to be stuff that isn't as stressful. It's going to aid recovery, but also work on some foundational skills that we all commonly neglect in our training. You know, the stuff that's going to sort of give us more longevity. You know, maybe it's some 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 core stability work. Maybe it's shoulder stability, sort of hip hip stability, hip endurance. You know, these types of things are the stuff that I'm going to put in on my load. You know, for me, is that I mean, I I mean, I play American football, so. Is that building up a, a, the, a, the capacity to, 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 to sprint, you know? So I will do my low-intensive tempo running, like that's obviously Charlie Francis has coined, um, on my low-intensive days. And then on my, on my high-intensive days, I'm going to work the skill of sprinting, you know, the ability to sprint, change direction at high, at high intensities, those types of things. And on my low-intensive days, I'm going to be doing the, the same, but just at lower intensities, just so that I can refine the skill of um, and again, is that we understand that all these things are a skill. The more we can practice them, the better we are going to get better at them or the quicker we're going to get better at them. So utilizing a training program and a series of training programs that can allow us to, to squeeze in more efforts to practice or more time to practice. Whereas if you only sprint once a week, it's not gonna. You're not gonna see potentially the uh, the refinement of that skill. It's whether somebody who practices three or four times a week. Yeah. You know, so on my on my high CNS days, I'm putting my heavier lifts, my lower body lifts, um, and my sprints. And on my uh, days, I'm gonna put more upper body stuff and more my general GPP conditioning. And I would utilize that similar type of program with my general population clients that I see more than three times a week. 
because you have to work both ends of the spectrum. And I just and I, and if you can improve both ends of those spectrum, you don't need to work the middle because that will naturally that will naturally improve. Yeah. Okay. Well, it was uh, I think it was Charlie France said you you never want to train in that middle, do you? You tr- yeah. try to avoid it at all costs, essentially. Um, that's where you can obviously categorize sort of conditioning stuff. You know, it's that where do we come in? I mean, Dan Baker made very popular the, the, the mass running um, and stuff like that. And I, it has a, I mean, I think that's a, a great tool. But when you're looking at it in the, in the eyes of a high-low sequencing, it says it has to be put on a high CNS day because it's it's too high-stressed for the low CNS day. Yeah. So now are you going to sacrifice your, your alactic sprint development for that conditioning? Or would you just do tempo runs with longer rest periods to develop the the running capacity at the other end and it says like and it's just understanding that how does it fit into the bigger picture because yeah. i just don't think you can view training as a week a month or even a year really i mean i think training should be developmental over three four five six ten years because we want to be better every january than we were last january yeah and it's progressive by nature yeah definitely uh, again another question we ask all the guests on the podcast is what advice would you give to an upcoming strength coach so the first one is uh, is 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 read 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 everything you can. Um, is, I just think that, and again, whether strength coaches, personal trainers, I've I've met some that have been in the industry for ten years and, and have openly admitted they've never read a book, um, which, which scares the living life out of me. But it, it it happens, you know. We rest on our laurels, and and it's trying to find your passion in the industry, whatever that might be, because I think that when you when you can find your passion, it's no longer a chore to do these things. Now, I think most of the best coaches I've ever spoken to, like this is their passion. So actually, it's what they want to do when they get home from work is to is to find out more because they have that that inquisitive mind to to develop themselves. And I think it doesn't matter whether like if if CrossFit is your passion, then go and do that. You know, read about how to become a better CrossFit coach. If if a rugby is your passion, then then read about and speak to people that are consistently sort of improving themselves in the field. You know, I think I think expanding your network is a um, is a big thing. Uh, something it's probably took me a little bit longer than it should have done to um, to, to sort of do it. But over the last work of coaches, um, people that I can just ring up at the drop of a hat and and ask questions to or send an email to and stuff like that, and that has hugely helped me to have that sounding board um, and have conversations like starting a podcast like well, this is just having sitting down and talking to someone like yourself gets me thinking in other ways I wouldn't normally think if I was just on my own you know so constantly developing yourself constantly reading and and developing your network I think I think we're at an age now with social media like more so than when I was sort of younger 10-15 years ago is that is that where everyone is to some degree contactable you know be at via Instagram via Facebook is that everyone's there so there's there's really no excuse to do it, yeah, not to do it. Sorry, you know. So reach out and and don't be afraid of sounding stupid. Like you'll find that most people in this industry are, are willing to talk about this because they're as much a geek about it as them as me and you. You know, they want to talk shop. You know, and that's what I've sort of found over the last sort of two or three years is 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 reach out to people and have conversations. Most people will be prepared to sit down for an hour and talk shop. You know, they're not going to charge you for it necessarily, or some of them won't. Most of them won't, I've found. Um, and just and just constantly ask questions and 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 develop yourself and your and your knowledge. It's- yeah, no, definitely. I've found you know it's 
the SNC community is pretty pretty open and yeah, if we're doing the podcast, you know, we've had tons of great guests, yourself included, come and you know, they just want to talk and share and um you know, there's plenty of, of uh years of experience that you can you can get hold of now, like say through the internet. So it's it's a, a good time to be involved and, and a, just a great kind of community. Um, and I think I think another thing in terms of like the for the coaches and especially is that like is is to learn to develop your filter. Like I think one of the mistakes that I probably made when I was younger and I see a lot of people making is they'll go and do a course or they'll speak to someone and see what they're doing and then they completely change or revolutionize what they're doing overnight to suit what someone else has told them. Yeah. You know, and it's and, and I think one of the negative side effects of social media is that there's so much information out there now. You know, you need to kind of almost refine down your network of people to the people that you trust and and put faith into. So that then you can just like I'm going to listen to these guys. They're the ones I'm kind of going with, um, and 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 having the ability over time to develop that little small network so that you can you can listen to the people that are worth listening to. Because again, every, with, again with social media, everyone makes noise, but not everyone has the context to back it up or the, you know. And I just think that developing your filter over time is a really important thing, um, so that you can ch- decipher what is good information and bad information. Yeah, I, it's, a, it's a great Bruce Lee quote. I, I don't know exactly, but it, it something like absorb what's useful and, and reject everything else. Yeah, um, exactly. And just break it, it down. Get... Go, go. Sorry, there, I'm just saying there is no like understanding that there's there's no right and wrongs really per se. It's just what suits you for your environment with your athletes. Yeah, exactly. You know? and, if, and, if, and if Olympic weightlifting is, is your bag, then, then crack on. There's nothing inherently right or wrong. It's yeah. just what is useful and what isn't for you. You know, and that and that's different for each individual. And it's just, and I don't think, and, and again, it's that's not an easy, easy thing for young coaches to to hear. I think when when I was a young coach, I wanted to know what program should I be using. I wanted people to tell me what to do. You know, and the and the issue is, is that it's open to interpretation, and is how do I use the information that I've got in my hands to develop the system that is going to work for my athletes or my clients? Yes, yeah, exactly. Um, and you mentioned obviously Stuart McGill and your work with him. Um, what are, what are some of the, the kind of key takeaways you've had from working with him? Uh, so I mean that that's, a, that's <laughs> probably a podcast on its own. To be honest with you, I mean for, for me it was um, when I first got in contact with with McGill and and I've, I've read his stuff and I think the the misconception is that he is a uh, he his whole thing is rehab and I mean a lot of his work is obviously on how like the rehab of the low back and all this type of things but man he's a he's a biomechanist at at heart and when you get into a room with him and see him coach. He's probably one of the best coaches I've been around, even though he has no formal education in it, because he understands positions, postures, how to create tension and how to extract performance out of the human body. So so for me, is that one of the key things that I learned from him is, to, is, is that refined coaching is that, you know, it's that what are we looking to achieve by if we prescribe a deadlift or a squat? What are we looking to? What's the outcome that we what we want and how do we extract that? And it's not about mindlessly just performing reps. It's understanding that the the number of reps prescribed is relative to the individual. How many reps can you maintain perfect form for? Back off, give yourself a rest and go back in, you know, because it's that perfect practice makes permanent, which is one of the main things I get from him, you know, and it's uh, understanding how to load the body efficiently, you know, not overloading the body. Um, I I mean, the reality is, is that 
when you speak to McGill and when, and when you speak to Joel and I'm, I work around these people on a daily basis, well, Joel especially, not so much McGill, he lives in Canada, a bit hard. But, um, but what you see is that a lot of the people that we see with back, with back pain or any injury for that matter is normally training and or trainer induced. Um, and my, my complete, the way I view training is I think that the moment that anyone walks into the gym, regardless of whether you're an, an athlete or just an everyday Joe, the, person, the moment you walk into the gym and you're trying to improve your fitness, strength, aesthetics, whatever your goal might be, is that you should be less likely to get hurt than somebody that sits at a desk all day. You know, that's, that should, you should be more resilient to injury. But the reality is, is most people's training is what's hurting them. You know, be that through poor execution or, or poor coaching. It doesn't really make a difference, but that's what that's what I see on a day-to-day basis. Is that people that have been paying an individual to get their training, and actually it's their training that has inevitably led them to come and seek professional. You know, and yeah. I think big problem in the industry. You know, and it's like getting and and a lot of this when you speak to them is they're the exercises that have been prescribed. These individuals were not ready for. Not to say that they were. front of them was not ready for what they were about to do and 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 again it's about educating those those both the client and the potential trainer as to look what what are we doing here like how are we going to get that so it's just understanding that like the, the ultimate goal is to have healthy healthy clients and healthy athletes and there is no rush to build strength i think in the industry especially the personal training industry when it comes to things like 12 week transformations is that we put the pressure on ourselves to begin with you know, to say that we're going to do this amazing feat of transformation in 12 weeks sometimes puts more coal onto a fire that isn't ready for it. Yeah. Um, and, it, and it's about just, and, and, and a lot of it is about educating. And, and, and where, where I think McGill stands alone is that his, his, the conversations that he has with his clients and his, and his athletes is he gets them to truly understand the process. You know, so it's having the, the confidence in what we're doing to say, look, calm down for a minute. Like there is no, there is no need to push too hard today. You know, and I don't know if you know the, the coach Andre Benoit. Um, I, I did a, we did a private consult with him, and one of the key things that he said with me, this is like probably eight or nine years ago, he said you will never see the same person twice, in the sense that every time somebody walks into the gym, they're in a different physiological state. You know, so you can't treat them the same as you did last Monday, because. They might not have slept as well. They might have been out for a boozy weekend or whatever. They might have had an argument with their, with their significant other. So if you enter in and you look at your training program and say, right, Sarah deadlifted 50 kilos last week. This week, you're deadlifting 55. Like, you've potentially already, already lost. So it's about meeting them where they're at. And, and that's one of the key things that McGill has taught me over the years, you know, it's to, to be truly able to understand the individual and get, and, and, conversely sort of tell them where the outcome is and educate them in the process yeah yeah no two really interesting things kept sort of spoke for me there was kind of the the ending there was needing to be adaptable you know you might write an amazing program but like you said depending on how the athlete rocks up you've you've got to adapt it based on you know their readiness to train um and the other one buddy morris the, the ones that sort of always say that you know it's like they're, they're, they say that they're plant they're plan b coaches like yeah. so you might have, plan a is great but if somebody walks in and, and they're not and they're not looking ready for sprints then today's not the day you know let's move on to plan b yeah and and also it was interesting you said how 
how he managed to, to to get the the athlete or client on board with with that kind of you know that long term progress approach as opposed to like you said a twelve week plan. If if you're telling them you're going to get them a certain amount of weight loss, you might sacrifice you know good form and technique because you're thinking I've got to I've got to hit this target. Um, whereas the the better approach is that long term long term goal of being able to function well and move well. And, and, and it's, it's a double edged sword as well, like in the sense that I mean, when I worked in 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 London, like I've I've dealt with people that have been. coaches and stuff like that and, and you know what like the problem isn't the coaching it's what in my opinion it's what they're selling so if somebody comes in and they pay four thousand pound for a 12-week program and, and what they're essentially buying is a set of abs that you can see then the coach hasn't got the time to be able to go well you i know you've you've, you've had an acl repair they're just going to have to work around these issues because they haven't bought a functional movement program or whatever you however you want to term it they've bought these abs so if that trainer doesn't deliver like how are you going to justify that that money that you've you've taken so and so it's like the issue that i have with those 12 weeks is where are they in week 24 yeah because nine times out of ten when i see them is that they're back to where they were if not worse than week one because now they've got floating injuries now they can't squat because they had to because their back was in pain when they did their 12-week transformation all they did was leg press you know, and it's nothing inherently good or wrong about it but they haven't been instructing good quality movement they've yeah. just been putting stress on the body to get the adaptation of reduction of body fat and then it's like right see you later you're on your own and therein lies the problem you know yeah and it's not to say anyone's good or bad coaches i just think sometimes what they are selling is not the best thing yeah no totally agree uh lastly rob uh, where can people learn more about yourself and serious about strength uh so i'm i'm, I'm pretty relatively active on instagram at serious underscore about underscore strength um I'm trying to sort of quieten down a little bit. I mean, I think social media can be all in, all in, all in, all involving and everything like that. So I'm trying to just sort of be a bit more selective in terms of what I post and how often I post. Um, but you can find me on there. I'm, that's probably the most active social media. I, there is, I do have a Facebook page as well, which I will share some stuff, but a little bit less active on there. And then you can check out my website at www.seriousaboutstrength.co.uk, uh, which is where I post a lot of my videos and articles and so forth, and just sort of gradually trying to add to that sort of library of information you know but again when you when as you'll find as you'll attest to is that when you're sort of coaching and doing stuff day to day it becomes infinitely harder to find the time to post online and do stuff like that so it's about time management it's something i'm trying to get better at doing um but yeah it's, it's a work in progress it always is yeah tell me about it <laughs> yeah <laughs> rob uh, great to have you on um you know really good conversation some some great take-home points there so uh, appreciate your time and, and want to wish you all the best pleasure. thanks for having me on thank you very much cheers rob great stuff so uh, awesome podcast from someone who obviously knows his stuff uh love talking about the kind of skill of strength side of it um uh, so thanks rob uh, great to talk to you and all the best with everything in the future um, and to you guys keep listening we do have more great podcasts planned a couple of really interesting ones uh, lined up so stay tuned for those please subscribe to us and give us a five star review on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher TuneIn and any other podcast providers I can't think of right now uh, and of course check us out at rugbyrenegade.com uh, our social media Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and YouTube um, and keep up to date with what's happening with us and stay tuned for the next podcast until next time thanks for listening to the rugby renegade podcast for more quality rugby strength and conditioning information check us out at rugbyrenegade.com
Rugby Renegade, Building Machines. <laughs>